Welcome to another captivating episode of Raw Momversations, where fearless moms and experts unite to explore alternative practices. Hey there, I'm Ali. And I'm Melania. Our mission is to empower your one-of-a-kind parenting journey. Join us as we explore unconventional birthing and parenting methods. Get ready for inspiration, authentic stories, and unwavering family love. Together, we're rewriting our rules of parenting one bold step at a time. So without further ado, let's kick off this empowering conversation. Raw Momversations, where fearless motherhood leads the way. Today, we're tackling a topic that's incredibly important, but also really sensitive, postpartum depression. Postpartum depression touches the lives of many mothers, and our goal today is to approach this subject with the care, the empathy, and the understanding that it deserves. And although it can be challenging to talk about, it's essential that we have this open conversation and we're here to create a comfortable, safe environment. We'll be joined by Melissa, a women's health educator who has a wealth knowledge and insights to share on this topic. So whether you're a mom, a partner, or someone interested in learning more, we're here to provide information, resources, and stories that we hope will leave you feeling more informed and empowered. Before we dive in, if you're currently struggling with postpartum depression or know someone who is, there is help available, and they are all linked in the resources of our show notes. So... Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's do it. Our guest today is not only a dedicated women's health educator and a nurse clinician, but a loving mother of two boys. She is an advocate for breaking down barriers and fostering open conversations so that women feel seen, heard, and supported everywhere. So Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm super nervous, actually. I was super excited and the nerves kicked in this morning. I was like, oh, crap. But uh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. No need to be nervous. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself as a new mom. Well, not a new mom. You have two boys at home. So give us a little background about like yourself becoming a mom. Um, Tell us a little bit about your deliveries, you know, how one was different from the other. And then we'll go into the, the nursing part of it. Sure. No, absolutely. So yeah, no. So obviously my number one title that I wear every day is mom. I live for those boys. So one of them is going to be one actually on Monday and then I got a four-year-old coming. Um, so I really, honestly, I had, now I'm having a very easy time. Mateo was like my firecracker baby. That was just, that was my firstborn. So he, I had a harder time with him. Like as a baby, he was the one who didn't sleep, didn't want to eat anything. Like my difficult baby. Um, easy pregnancy. (laughs) And then I Mm -hmm. had my second one where I had like my little angel sunshine baby. And I think that's like, that's the pregnancy where I, oh my God, I had a horrible pregnancy. (laughs) It was really difficult. Uh, I was severely anemic. So I think a lot of um, moms go through that and unfortunately don't get treated for it. Yeah. See, I feel you. And I feel like the doctors are always like, oh, like, don't worry about it. It's normal. I'm like, but it's not normal actually. Um, so that didn't help. I was exhausted. And then by the time Maxie actually arrived, I was already like depleted of all my energy. Um, so no, I had a really, really much difficult, more difficult time with my second one than my first one, I would say. Uh, and like I said, easiest baby of life. Like I'm telling you, this baby was just so simple. Even the delivery was great. I didn't have any, um, traumatic experiences when it came to my labor and deliveries, um, just because 
I guess with my nursing background, I knew exactly what was going on at every stage. And I just kind Mm. of, I knew also a lot of the people that were in the room with me, which is kind of weird, actually. Did you deliver uh, at a hospital? I delivered at a hospital. Yeah. With, with a doula, I will say I did have a doula because I had explored, you know, maybe doing it at home and I'm very happy I didn't, especially with my first, just because, oh my goodness, I thought I could do it. I could not do it. Like I did yeah. like 24 hours of labor with, and I was mm-hmm. like three centimeters dilated. It was, it was not going to happen. I wanted to do no epidural. Yeah. No, I was not going to be a hero in this situation. So I'm like, <laughs> just hook me up and do what you need to do. That's it. Um, but yes, I did deliver to hospital. So I had really, really good experiences. One of my friends that was actually a colleague of mine uh, delivered my firstborn. And then a lot of the other nurses, you know, we like know each other through the grapevine at the hospital. So it was like delivering at home kind of, but you know, not. Did you have a, did you have a doula for both pregnancies or your second pregnancy? It's funny that you ask that because I I often compare the two. I didn't have one for my second and I really, really regret it. I really Mm. regret it because I find like, yes, it was super helpful in the beginning because you don't know anything, even though like you could study nursing, you can study medicine, whatever you want if you've never been pregnant or you never had a baby before, like you don't get it. (laughs) Like you cannot understand it. Um, so the first one was helpful in that respect, but it was more the afterbirth. Like I just felt so much more cared for, followed up on, which you guys know, like our medical system, it's like, yeah, see you in six weeks, but Mm. what? (laughs) That's not enough. It's not enough. And, uh, yeah, no, I really, really should have done it for both sincerely. Yeah. Did you guys have a doula? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And you know, it's, I was thinking because I had one for the first one, maybe I don't need one for the second. I'm glad you actually mentioned that because I I am going with one. Life-changing. It is. No, 100%. And I feel like even, I don't know, for me, I always felt like I was complaining all the time. And I felt like if I had a doula, it wouldn't have been perceived as a complaint and more as of like, I need something. Like, what am I missing? Like, how can I help myself? And like, I'm, I work in, in healthcare. I've worked in healthcare. So I know what resources there are. So for mm-hmm. me to seek them, like the pelvic floor therapy, um, lactation consultant, whatever it is, like I know where to go, but it, that I needed more than that. I needed like a, it's a, your support system, you know, right. Support, just a, major right. support. Yeah, exactly. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about, uh, postpartum depression. This is something you've experienced personally and you've seen as a professional. So we really appreciate your input on this topic. From what I understand, there is postpartum depression, there is the baby blues, and then there's postpartum anxiety. How can you differentiate the three of them? So postpartum blues, I think almost every, even statistically, almost every woman goes through it. You get home from the hospital, your hormones are out of whack because you just had a ridiculous drop in hormones. Um, You're now producing milk and you have a tiny creature depending on you. You're Mm -hmm. exhausted, probably. You might be in pain. You've got a C-section. You're also post-op. So it's just all these things going on. Um, And with postpartum blues, you can feel a little bit sad. You might be crying. It's like the umbilical cord fell off and it's the end of the world. And like everything is like just (laughs) these big, big emotions. And you can also be, you know, there's really happy too in there. And it's just a time like that. And that the thing that differentiates that mostly for postpartum depression is the amount of time. So mm. that usually lasts, you know, one to two weeks. It could go on a little bit longer, but it's, if it's the, if those feelings of sadness and the crying and even being anxious, uh, feeling really sad, feeling lonely, uh, overwhelmed, even angry, 
guilty, feeling like you might hurt yourself, you might hurt the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't feel like you're doing a good job, which I think a lot of women feel that just in general, which I think is a sign that you are doing a good job because you care. Um, but if those feelings keep going, that's when you know that you're in a bit of a tough spot. So often undiagnosed postpartum depression. I know a lot of girls who've gone through it without ever speaking to anyone about it, not saying anything, um, because you don't know what to say. (laughs) Sincerely, you don't. And having lived it now, I know that I'm like, I knew exactly what I would tell somebody else and I couldn't do it for myself. Like Mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, and then you mentioned postpartum anxiety actually. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's hard to, I think, differentiate all, maybe postpartum depression can be like its own thing, but the other two, even the postpartum blues, like it's so normal for you to not know what you're doing (laughs) because you don't. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and to worry, I mean, it's normal. It's normal to be worried. It's just, I remember, and I spoke to a few other moms about this, but with Max, he was born with like, um, they called it a vascular deformity. And basically his legs and part of his arms were kind of marbled when he was born. Um, Mm -hmm. and it looked like bruises and the, the pediatrician came in and he was like, well, what happened to your baby? And I'm like, well, he came out like this. Like, you know, I was already exhausted, like from everything. And, you know, to have someone tell you that I was already nervous. So then I, I didn't sleep for days because I kept thinking, oh my God, a vascular deformity. No one knew what it was, by the way. So just to tell you how, yeah. how much time I hear it, yeah. I've never, oh, they didn't even know. They're like, oh, let me consult the other pediatricians. And I'm not knocking them. It's just like bedside manner is really important, especially like I was super fragile and I'm not a fragile girl in general. And yeah, you're I was not cookie. exactly like I was not happy about that experience. So the reason why I'm mentioning this is because then you get home and imagine if your baby like didn't have a, an F score, like the top score and an APGAR score when they score. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine they didn't score whatever you think, you know, there might be something wrong or they're not latching properly or they end up with, um, needing, um, my God, the UV therapy. If their bilirubin's too high, if they have liver problems, like, of course you're going to be anxious. Like it's just logical. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're nervous about it, but then you're also sleep deprived. So that yeah. every little thing you're like, am I giving them the right uh, amount of milk? Uh, am I putting them in the right sleep sack? It's all these things that you worry about, but at a heightened level. So it mm-hmm. just, it, it gets to you. And I think sincerely, you just ruminate and ruminate in your own head. I feel like, like I, I connect with that only because <laughs> after the birth of my son, we had to go to the NICU after, and it was just like so much worry and I didn't understand what was going on. And you think you're going to leave the hospital after the two days or whatever it is with a perfectly healthy, happy baby. And you see the pictures of, you know, your partner holding the, the car seat. Um, and then I remember yeah. going home afterwards and just thinking every little thing, is this okay? Is this normal? Mm. Is this just like living in like a little heightened state of anxiety or fear? hundred percent. And, you know, some of the women I know, like from a personal level too, and it's not to compare pregnancies because I don't think you can, or the way that you got pregnant, but you know, there's some people who have had extremely long fertility journeys to get to where they are. And I mean, I'm sure that has something to do with it too, for quite a few women you get, you're like extra nervous because of all like, yes, the years of, you know, loss and all this stuff combined. So that's a whole other topic, but there's a bunch of different experiences that can lead into the whole postpartum anxiety aside from just basic new motherhood. Right. How did you, you know, realize that you were going through this and this was with your second pregnancy? 
Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so everyone says it takes a village <laughs> and it really does take a village. Um, but I, I realized I, I'll just tell you a little bit about my postpartum quickly. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I breastfed just like I did with my firstborn. And with my secondborn, I bled like we all do postpartum for about four weeks, which is actually a little bit longer than usual. I think it was five weeks even. Two days after I stopped bleeding, I got my period back. Wow. And like everything was like fine and dandy until that week. <laughs> and uh, my my uh, milk supply plummeted. Uh, obviously, I had my period, so no one enjoys that. Um, and I just started to feel like weird around then. And I just attributed it to my period coming back. Um, and then I just remember like everything just felt hard and impossible. And I'm not talking about like big complicated things. I'm talking about like getting up in the morning and like preparing milk with the baby Bretza, which is like, boop, it's like an espresso, you know, like that was challenging. Um, oh my God, I have to dress my, my firstborn for, for daycare. Like everything was hard. Like just going out, my husband's like, Oh, you don't want to go anywhere. And it wasn't, I'm not knocking him at all. Cause he had no idea. Men are, you know, they, they, they don't always see it right away. Um, and I just, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go anywhere. And I'm a person who's always outside, you know, out and about, not necessarily with friends or anything, just out. Didn't want to go anywhere. We had a vacation plan, this big vacation to Hawaii and Los Angeles, like a really nice family vacation. And I was so angry that I had to go on this vacation. I was upset the mm. entire time. And I'm there with a bunch of other moms who are all like enjoying their lives. And there was one that had a baby as young as mine. And I'm, and that's when I realized, I'm like, no, there's something wrong. Like I'm like aggressive, like internally. I'm not nice to my husband. I was so mm-hmm. catty with him. Um, I, I also felt like I wasn't bonding with my baby, which I felt really guilty about. That was another thing. And I'd be like, I always had Mateo on me when he was born, like constantly. And Maxie, anybody who would ask to take him, I'd be like, oh, take him, like take just, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would feel relieved when somebody would take my baby. Mm-hmm. It was honestly, and I only realized even that part of it, the bonding aspect around like eight months postpartum when I really started to have a real proper connection with this little angel baby, like sincerely, yeah. it was very sad for me, honestly. So yeah, that, that's, that's, those were all the signs. And then crying, the crying, oh my God, I would cry about absolutely nothing. Like my life was just impossible. Everything was impossible. (laughs) And I felt like my life had no purpose. And I felt like I was going insane. Uh, And that's when my husband at one point, he's like, you need to talk to someone. Like, do you realize that you have a problem? I'm like, yeah, I, I do actually. Like, I know I have a problem. And I kept telling myself, snap out of it, snap out of it. Like you're going to snap out of it. And you know, I would never say that to somebody else, obviously, but to myself, I'm like, Oh, Melissa, like you're exaggerating. And then I would hear that from some other people too, which was not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was my experience in a nutshell. Was it this experience that led you down the path of becoming a women's health educator? Were you already aware of all of this information or? So, um, no, I went into women's health education more for sexual health and stuff like like basic sexual health, uh, pleasure and all of that stuff. But the reason why I like I decided even like when Ali mentioned coming on to the podcast, I was like, I think I should talk about this because I feel like people don't talk about it. It's super embarrassing. There's a stigma around it. Um, and I'm not a person that hides how I feel about things. And I feel like this one, I, I hid pretty well in general, which is not a good Mm -hmm. thing. And I don't think that's helpful to anyone. So 
this is my contribution to society following this. Given that I'm a women's health educator, I figured why not bring this aspect in this new um, phase of my life? It's amazing. And like you said, it's so taboo and no one wants to talk about it. Everyone feels embarrassed, but I don't, you don't even know that you have it. Or you don't even know that you have it. No, you don't. And, and that's the other thing too, is like everyone thinks you're okay because you look okay. And like mm-hmm. you're dressed or you have makeup on or right. your hair is done. But sometimes that's in my case, that was a, uh, like my mask. <laughs> it was really right. my mask. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, she must be fine. She had time to do her hair in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, no, literally, literally. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, I just, I find that it's like, it's like actually in clinical practice, people come in immediately when they have really bad pain, a physical symptom or something that's just stop it. Usually it's a sexual health problem that's like preventing them from being able to perform sexually. That's when you go and get help, when you can see or really actively acutely feel a problem. Mm-hmm. And something like this, it was like, well, oh, it's not that bad. I can handle it. I can handle it on my own. And I did that for like four months on my own. And I can tell right. you that was not, that wasn't good for anyone. That didn't get me anywhere. didn't get anybody anywhere. Um, my doctor- so at what point, yeah. I was going to say, what point did you realize, okay, I do need help. My husband's recognizing I'm not myself. Um, what were the first steps that you took in order to help? help. SOS. Yes. <laughs> SOS. Um, actually, Matthew, bless his soul. I got a link in my email saying, oh, like, welcome to better help. And I'm like, oh, great. Like talk therapy. And I am like, I believe in talk therapy. I just never thought that I would really need it. You know what I mean? Cause I've always been able to navigate things pretty independently and pretty well. So then I'm just like looking at this and I'm like, what am I going to say to her? Like, what am I like my life? Like what's, there's nothing wrong with my life. Like I have help. My kids are healthy. Like I'm healthy. So that was the first step was talk therapy. So I signed up for that and they ask you like why you're there basically. Uh, and they try to, um, pair you with a therapist that has experience with these types of issues. So sincerely, that was one of the best things I've done because she really helped me break it down into like why I was feeling these feelings and like what the process of my thinking was. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful. Um, and I think too, like the mothers who have asked me about this on a personal level, they're like, Oh, what did you do? Like, how did you, what was the like magic solution? Like there was none. It was a long process of changing the way that I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we spoke about this the other day, but uh, I also sought out um, a naturopath because as we know, uh, you go to your doctor and I don't, I'm not saying all doctors are like this, but it's often like, oh, how are you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm good. Even though you're like losing your mind inside. Mm-hmm. And even if you mention, like for me, I mentioned, oh, you know, like I'm not myself. And my doctor's actually known me for a good number of years. So she kind of knows like my general like status of my mood and stuff. And she's like, Oh, it's normal. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll be fine. And I wasn't fine. So I started to Mm -hmm. seek, you know, alternative medicine, which I think a lot of women do nowadays because they're, it's helped people. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I, I, I sought that as well to see, maybe I'm missing nutrients. Maybe I'm completely depleted from giving everything to my tiny human Mm-hmm. who now has taken all my vitamins and minerals and iron. Bless his soul. He's sleeping right above me. <laughs> <laughs> and can I ask you a question? Sure. With this pregnancy, 
feeling the effects after labor, but looking back at it now, because I came across a term called perinatal depression. So you can already start to feel depressed while pregnant. Looking back at it, did you feel any of that or it really happened after labor for you? It's funny that you say that because a lot of the time during my pregnancy, I told my husband, and I think I actually, this is so bad. When we did our, our, um, prenatal like photos, like our pregnancy session there. I literally told the photographer, she's like, how are you? I'm like, I think I'm depressed, but it's okay. And like, I'm joking about it, but it wasn't funny. Now looking back, I'm like, maybe I was, but there is a correlation with antepartum depression. Mm -hmm. So prior to giving birth and like your likelihood of having it postpartum. So I think it was just easier to manage when I didn't have two people to, you know, take care of. Right. Um, but yes, I, I a hundred percent think that it was part of it. And I don't think the iron deficiency helped that at all. Like, I really don't. (laughs) Mm. You know, my sister-in-law, she, to me, is a hero. She had three boys under three. Oh, my goodness. So imagine. (laughs) Any mom with boys, you kind of just double the amount that you have. So she has three, but it almost seems like she's got six of them to manage and take care of. But, you know, looking back while she was pregnant with her third, um we would walk in and she'd just be sitting on the couch and crying, you know, pregnant. And I feel her hormones just didn't have time to balance from the first two. And she was just completely overwhelmed. And, you know, now knowing about this perinatal depression, I, I'm, she was never diagnosed, but I'm assuming that's something she was suffering at the time. Um, And I remember her going into the delivery room and the doctors are walking in. They're like, okay, it's uh, time to push. And she's like, not yet. I still need time to process and to have my peace alone. My oh two my other goodness. kids are at home. You know, like, just give me a minute. Literally sent the doctors out. <laughs> and they came Good back an hour later. Good for and she her. was like, okay, now I'm ready. And she, uh, it was tough, you know, I would say the first year after that third. How long after is it possible to experience postpartum depression? Mm-hmm. So they say up to a year, but apparently it is, there's a statistic, I can't remember the number, I have it somewhere in my notes, I should look for it. But basically it's the most commonly um, diagnosed, like the most common diagnosis following pregnancy and motherhood in general, not just the first year is postpartum depression. So like how long are you postpartum for? Generally it's within the year that it can happen. Um, That's the scientific uh, answer. And and if you've had postpartum depression, is there a high likelihood that you'll have it again in the next pregnancy or each pregnancy is? Each pregnancy is different, but it it is more common as with the antepartum depression that you will have it again. And I know a lot of girls, actually, the ones that we speak to, like in in en cachette, as they say in French, Mm -hmm. like, you know, quietly, is that they were petrified to have a second one because they lived it so badly with the first one. Like I know some one in particular who didn't have a second baby because it was so bad, not because she didn't want children. She just couldn't go through that again. And sincerely, that's how I feel about having a third one. I'm like, I can't live that again. Like I won't survive it sincerely. It was terrible. Yeah. But there's always light at the end of the tunnel and you will survive. There is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And looking back, I really realized that, you know, it's, it was a, I was not well. (laughs) I really was not well. And if, and I'm saying this to whoever's listening, like if you think that you have it or you're feeling anything that I describe, tell someone, talk to someone. uh, Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised 
sometimes it's not always the closest people to you who are able to help you. Sometimes you do need to seek external help, uh, professional help, medical, whatever it may be. I was never medicated personally. Uh, It wasn't something that I even wanted to look into, but it, it can be necessary and helpful sometimes. You need to go with what you feel is right for you. Right. And how can family members or friends recognize postpartum depression in someone? How can they help them? Yeah, there's there's two two aspects to that. So, I mean, my parents, I'll give my parents as an example. My parents live down the road from us, which we're very fortunate for. So does my mother-in-law, but I'm, mm-hmm. my parents are still my parents. Yeah, I'm closer to them. Yeah. And I remember my mom, like she noticed that every time they would leave the house that I would like kind of panic. And I would just be like, can you, like, I'd be like, can you stay? Like, can you stay like five more minutes? Like just mm-hmm. anything. And I, and I really would panic inside. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to be alone with the baby. Like, how, what am I going to do? Even though I knew what I was doing. Right. And so there's that aspect of like maybe asking them to come over more frequently, um, crying, uh, getting upset about small things. Like, I don't know, something falling on the ground, um, not having as much patience with the second child. If you do have a second child, mm-hmm. um, pay attention to if she's going out, (laughs) leaving the house. Is she able to leave the house? I know it's like a really like silly thing to say, but just being able to put your baby in the stroller and Mm -hmm. leave, physically leave the house. Like that for me was huge. And I would have to tell myself, okay, Melissa, step one, dress baby, put baby (laughs) in the shell. Like it was seriously that ridiculous. And just to to see if she's leaving. Is she bathing herself? Has she had a shower? It was like a human need. It's not a luxury. Like you should be able to shower in a day. Um, and just to see how, how long it goes on for like two, three weeks. We get it. Like you're, you're usually a mess. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you got the milk, you got the bleeding, you might Mm -hmm. be having a C-section. So, uh, if she's feeling really anxious, uh, and if she's, we, we know that you're not sleeping and it's really, it's hard to distinguish because you're in a stage of your life where you're probably not sleeping anyway. Right. But when it's time to sleep, you should be crashing. Like you should not Mm -hmm. be having insomnia at this stage. You should be wiped. So, and that's something for the husbands, especially because they're usually home and they're, they're seeing those things. And to help is just to offer help, offer it. Like, Mm -hmm. do you need anything? Go to, give me the baby, go take a shower. Like I'll feed the baby. I can wash the baby. Do you need groceries? Groceries for me was like huge. Like my mother would be going to Costco. She's like, what do you need from Costco? And it was just such mm-hmm. like a, something I could check off and out of my head. Um, but just That's to it, offer you know, yourself. I feel when people have a baby or a newborn at home, like I'm not asking her what she needs in terms of baby products. I'm like, tell me when you need a shower and what I'll do you come need? over. Tell, tell me when you need to sleep and I'll come over, you know? So what, one of the best gifts that I got sent to the house, cause we got flowers, but one of my really close uh, friends from high school, she sent me so many gifts. I almost got annoyed at one point, but she sent me, <laughs> she sent me prepared frozen meals, which was so helpful. Oh yeah. She sent me sweaters for Food. breastfeeding with the zipper. It was just, it was such thoughtful gifts that you didn't think about. A hundred percent. Like, like mama needs gifts too. Like uh, mama needs gifts. them more than baby. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what it was, but there was like a quote I saw. What, what did it say? Everything that baby needs, mama needs too. Like, and it's yeah. true. Like we need a bath. We need, we don't need milk, but we need like hydration to be able to, you know, care yes. for the baby. And it's so like, not, it's not funny. I should stop using that word funny, but it's just weird because with the second born, I felt like with the first born, everyone's like so excited. The whole yeah. family's knocking at your door and you're like, get out of my house. Like I need a minute. <laughs> And with the second one, there's just like this quiet 
and no, like no one really, I remember somebody brought me in. It was one of my most used gifts was like a set of my own pajamas. Like, cause <laughs> you know, cause you're just like in your like house clothes and you're just disheveled yes. from birth. And the second one, like no one, I found no one really like thought about me or except my parents. My parents were very like much present. Um, but it was just like, okay, well she knows what she's doing. Like she doesn't, she has everything already. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just me, but that, that was my experience anyway. And I just felt like, well, actually like I am like deeper down the Creek right now. So can you bring me a paddle? Cause <laughs> I've got two now. So yeah. Oh, what a thing. And um, is it possible for your partner or even let's say a family who might've had to use a surrogate, if you didn't physically carry the child, are you still able to experience a form of postpartum depression? Like, I think it can happen maybe for different reasons. Because uh, obviously, like in in a woman who's given birth, there are sev- like really ridiculous hormonal shifts from literally being pregnant to not being pregnant, lactating, not lactating. There's a bunch of those. Um, I think it would come more from um, taking on the role of a mom and now having this new mental load physical load, literally, and you're, you're taking on a new role. And I think that part of the postpartum depression is that, is the managing the the new load and the new role. And it it can happen. It's not as common as with uh, a birthing mother, but it is very possible. Absolutely. I was thinking of something today and I I said this to you guys the other day, and I don't know if you're going to use this or not, but um, everyone says it takes a village. It takes a village what if you don't have a village? Like there's some people that literally do not have a village and how can you plan for that? You know, I know so many moms and this is just a reality that their parents don't live close by. They don't Mm -hmm. necessarily, they didn't necessarily plan for needing resources other than like daycare or, you know, cause that's not always the answer for everyone just to send them to daycare at such a young age, you know, below a year. Um, But I find that no one talks to you about planning postpartum child care, like even for like the two month, the three month, like what if you just need somebody at home to come by and not necessarily check on you, but literally to just help you. <laughs> People don't right. have those resources. And I find that no one tells you to like plan financially for what that might cost to hire mm-hmm. someone to help you clean because these are the real loads of what most moms deal with on a daily basis is the laundry, is the cooking, is the cleaning getting the mm-hmm. backpacks ready. Like no one talks to you about planning for childcare. And I find that that, this is a whole other topic, but that alone is extremely helpful for somebody who might be going through a postpartum depression. Everything is just too much. It's already too, too much. much. So imagine. I totally, I, yeah, I totally agree. I don't know why I thought I was going to be able to be Martha Stewart after giving birth. <laughs> I'd be in the kitchen cooking meals, <laughs> literally zero energy after breastfeeding and then waking up to pump right after it. It was just like, oh yeah, no help. No, I think the best help was receiving food. 100%. Right? 100%. So that, like, I mean, I would imagine most people have friends at the very bare minimum if their families are not close by. So friends, if you're listening, send the girl some food, please. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not hard. Uber, I remember I got Uber gift cards. I'm like, what do you need? It was just like food. Send me food. Here's Uber gift (laughs) cards. Like, you're in a pickle. Like, Uber. Just, you know frozen meals. There's people that cater. You don't have to cook them yourself. Like we're, we're not in the 1800s. Like there are tons of resources that someone can provide you as a gift. It's very, very easy to do. 
That's it. And financially planning for, you know, that little safety net of what if your parents can't bring you home cooked meals and you will need a, a little extra extra. So that's a really important point. Yeah. I and I find no one, no one says it. And like we, like I said, I think most of us come from, you know, how do you say we're not affluent, but we're not living in the streets. You know, we have access to resources, but some people don't. So it's really necessary to think of that beforehand. Cause once you're in it, let me tell you, your most moms are not working postpartum. You're mm-hmm. losing half an income. So it's just that financial planning aspect of the childcare to relieve some stress off of the mother. Yeah. And I mean, do we want to go into the resources yeah. of where a mother could access this kind of um, information and help when it comes to postpartum depression? Yeah, sure. So, um, there's a few. So we like we live in Montreal, right? So we have the CLSCs, which is basically a local community clinic, you can call it, that offers nursing resources. It's mostly nurses that work in the CLSCs. And usually postpartum, they'll come to visit you, as most Montreal moms will know, and they'll, you know, ask you how they you are, et cetera, et cetera. And then they leave you a stack of papers with phone numbers that no one ever looks at until yeah. like, they have to throw them in the garbage, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, because sometimes you don't even know that you need those resources until you're, you know, not in a great place. So that would be my number one place for Montreal moms to go, um, is to contact your local CLSC and the nurse will give you her phone number when she's at your Mm -hmm. home and make sure you... Yeah. I, I had a really great experience with my CLSC nurse and she would call and she would check in on me. I don't know if you had that same experience with your nurse, but mine was really lovely and Mm -hmm. was really concerned with my son. Well, that's, it's super helpful too. And I think just knowing that someone is you know, someone's watching out for you. You know, we always had our moms watching out for us. And then when you become a mom, mm-hmm. it's like, you still need that, you know, person that, especially a nurse, they really know Motherly what they're figure. doing. Exactly. You still, like, I need my mommy. It's true. <laughs> um, so that would mm-hmm. be my first place. The second resource is a resource that I had found that I thought was great, especially for women in Canada. Um, it's called, um, oh my goodness, I had sent you the link for it. There's a link for it. Postpartum.org. Exactly. Postpartum.org. Right? Exactly. And they have um, a chat um, and a phone number you can actually call. And this is for any mom or parent uh, that has a baby under three years old. And it can also be for the partner. Because the partner can also have symptoms and be experiencing, you know, loss of identity, whatever it may be. It's, you know, it's a big transition mm-hmm. to go from no children to new role. Um, and I thought that was, they have also access to other resources. So that, that I found was really great. It's not a crisis hotline. So if you think that you're going to do something really bad or you're afraid to harm yourself or your baby, call 911. Don't call them. That's not what they do. They mm-hmm. can just assist you. And then there's also a Simon Montréal. So it's a website. It's a network of um, psychologists. But there's one doctor in particular, uh, Dr. Liana Zolula. I never worked with her personally, but I do know people who have. And I know that she's very experienced in dealing with um, postpartum anything, just in general. Okay. Yeah, so that those would be my, my top three. Uh, and-, and then you were mentioning better help. BetterHelp. Yeah. So BetterHelp is what my husband had found for me. Uh, it's therapists online. You don't have to leave your house if you don't feel like showering and, you know, having to look like a human. You stay in your house. They'll mm-hmm. speak with you. They'll connect you with someone who they feel fits your needs. Uh, and one big one that, like I said, I know it's it can be really hard and overwhelming, but there's so many like mommy and baby fitness classes, like swimming lessons, those things, they say they're for the baby, but they're really for you. <laughs> you, mm-hmm, they you, are. you get there and 
you realize that you're not alone. Uh, we're not supposed to be mothering alone. And I feel like a lot of us are because it's just the way our society mm-hmm. has evolved. Turned. Yeah. Exactly. And sign up to those classes. Like I had offered one myself because I did all my fitness certifications and I was like, you know what? This is going to be good for me. And it was like, it was like therapeutic mm-hmm. to just hear that other people were experiencing the same symptoms and it, like that they had the same look on their face of like despair. It was, you know, and I think we all felt better about it knowing that we could relate and that we weren't crazy. Yeah. A lot of them do these like mommy meetups. I mean, we went to one in the Point Claire village and it was all moms who had kids around our age. And we kind of went in a circle and talked about our, our birthing experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, doesn't it feel good? Like, yeah, it really like, does. I'm not alone. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. So yeah, those are, you can find those groups all over Facebook. Um, Instagram anywhere. Big time. The community centers in all the communities offer some sort of something, the civic centers. So yeah. Those are usually free, right? Most of the time. Yeah. They're free. Unless it's like, um, unless it's like swimming lessons or something like something very specific with a specific Mm -hmm. instructor, but there, there are lots of free ones. There's like baby yoga, like mommy, baby yoga. I don't know if Indigo is still doing it, but they used to have like the um, story times. So you would just bring your kid. I was going to say your local library. Yeah, Yeah. the libraries. Exactly. So like I said, those are, they call them baby, but it's really mommy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Good for both. And if there's people listening here that are not moms or who have friends that are new moms or pregnant, like check up on them, keep an eye on them, check in, send a text. Like, do you need anything? Or just bring them something. Just, you know, do you need to shower? That's number one. You'll learn a lot from showing up at a mother's house and allowing her to take a shower. You'll see the state of the house, first of all. So you'll see, you know, a little bit of what's going on and what's going on with her. It's complex. Right. But then I feel like for like type A people like us who would have the house clean. That's me. It's like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a let facade. the people in. Let yeah. The, yeah, exactly. Let them in. Talk. I know. I know. And it's, yeah, it's just to, I guess, not be shy about it because you, and everyone says it, you'll feel better if you talk about it. And it's true for pretty much almost anything. And no one's going to judge you. Like no one's here to judge you and that you find it hard. It is hard. So it's normal that you're feeling overwhelmed and chances are the other person's probably has experienced the same thing. So yeah. Yeah. Bottom line is it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to, you know, speak to someone if you recognize you know, they're not being themselves. Tell me if you see me going down a black hole, um, you know, like you were saying, give them a call, ask them what they need, offer a shower. You just said, just don't, I I like that a lot actually, is don't be afraid to mention that you notice something is off and just ask like, is there something I can do? It's not a criticism. It's not a critique of the person. It's just, you know, you care, you're coming from a place of caring and love. Mm -hmm. And I I really like that. And it's true for any friends. Like I said, my mom mentioned it to me immediately. She's like, what, what, what's going on? (laughs) And I feel like if there is truly something wrong and then you ask that person, is everything okay? And if you see them burst into tears, I, I mean, that's, the number one sign. Help me. Just, yeah, know that they need some kind of guidance or resources 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, yeah. not only for sharing your knowledge on this topic, but even for just being so open and sharing your journey with everyone who's going to listen to this. Thank you. I hope they're not petrified of having babies now. <laughs> no, of course no. not. It's a beautiful and experience. Yeah. It is, but it comes with ups and downs and 
you know, the truth is there are so many resources out there that can help. And I mean, in this, this in itself, what we're trying to do here is just make it a less, not even taboo, but just a safe environment to talk about this kind of a topic. No, exactly. No, 100%. 100%. I really appreciate you guys having me on and listening to me and my rant. And, so, and if people would like to connect with you and to see the resources that you shared with us, this is going to be linked with our episode. Yeah, it will be below in our show notes. So absolutely it'll be available. And before we wrap up, Melissa, we like to ask our guests two questions. Do you want to go with the first one, Ali? Yeah, we, we basically want your recommendations. So what would be your number one baby product recommendation? For, okay, for, I always go to this one. For the first time mom who's breastfeeding, especially the breastfeeding ones that don't know if they want to pump and don't want to spend a bazillion dollars on a breast pump because they don't know what they're doing, get yourself a hacka. <laughs> Just go on Amazon, order it, ship it to your house. You just stick it to your boob that's not being used for feed, and it just takes up all the milk that you would have wasted and spilled all over your bed. Got that later on, though. Yeah, I didn't know about it until later on. Someone told me yeah. about it, and that was like, wow, like all my poor wasted milk. It's precious. Yeah, so that would it. be my number one. What's the second question? What is your favorite product that you could not live without? For oh, mama. Yeah. For Oh, for myself. Oh, it, it wasn't one that lasted very long. However, my diapers, God bless the diapers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like, take those to the hospital with you, please do yourself a favor, leave your home with your own diapers. You will thank me later because those pads that they give you look like they're for an Terrible. elephant and they, they don't fit. So buy yourself Any some depends. brand that you liked? They, they <laughs> had nice ones with like nice designs on them. I had that, the those, yes. I think that's what I had. And I was like, ooh, like they even had like a little like elastic front. Anyway, yes. get yourself some diapers. The Frida Mom one was good though with the ice pack that you could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during, yeah, yeah. Like right after labor, but those diapers. Oh yeah. I, I went through like a whole pack just. So did I. I lived in those. But even before like delivering, cause well, you know, yeah, no stuff's happening. I know my water broke. So things are yeah coming out. Well, it's, I wish <laughs> I had had that actually during labor because I remember like the floor of the room. I'm like, this is disgusting. Like, oh God, <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's brilliant actually. Oh yeah. That's <sighs> honestly such a good recommendation. I love it. Oh God, those diapers. <laughs> Well, this was another real and raw conversation. Yes. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thank you, guys.